are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. These are not the easiest of times, these days in which we live. Some years on Good Friday, our, our minds can wander all too easily to an Easter meal that awaits over the coming days, trying to remember what we still need to buy at the grocery store tomorrow, who we might have forgotten to invite for dinner. We enter the church for the liturgy this year through snow, some years on lovely spring days. We vow ourselves into a space in which to contemplate yet again the meaning of this story that we tell. We bow our heads and then cross our fingers behind our backs as we imagine what it would be like to tell this story with absolutely no knowledge of the story we will proclaim on Sunday. Of course, we do know the Sunday story. Ringing in the back of our imaginations can be that assertion drawn from the black church tradition, made famous by Dr. Tony Campolo in a landmark sermon he often preaches. It's only Friday, but Sunday's common. It's Friday. Jesus was nailed dead on a cross, but it's only Friday. Sunday's common. It's Friday. Mary's crying her eyes out because Jesus is dead. It's only Friday, Sunday's common. It's Friday, the disciples are running around like sheep without a shepherd. But it's only Friday, Sunday's common. It's Friday, Pilate's strutting around, washing his hands, because he thinks he's got all the power and the victory. But it's only Friday, Sunday's common. It's Friday, people are saying... As things have been, so shall they be. You can't change anything in this world, but it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Satan's doing a jig saying, I control the whole world, but it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. And yes, it's Friday. Good Friday. This is the first Good Friday since 2019 that we've been able to have a congregation present here in the church. Frankly, for the past couple of days, we weren't sure we could get here due to the blizzard. Yes, Sunday's coming, and Sunday we'll find a congregation back here again for the first gathered Easter celebration since 2019. It's hard for me not to take some real delight in having us back here. But it's also hard for me not to ponder the strange character of these days. I head into a grocery store. I think nothing of putting on a mask. And if there's those arrows on the floor pointing you in directions up and down aisles, I will follow those. That's the new normal, right? For most of us, most of the time, we just do that. Sure, some people have begun to toss aside their masks, and surely more will do that as the weeks tick forward. 
But here in Winnipeg, it seems that most of us see this as a really respectful thing to do for one another. Not a great hardship, is it? When I stop and I think about those weeks near the beginning of the pandemic, when the shelves were stripped bare of toilet paper, I watched more recently how a kind of cheese that I've been buying for years at the price of $7.29 suddenly jumped to over $10. And those Scottish oatcakes I love to buy seem to have disappeared altogether. Well, I can cope. I'll keep an eye out for the sales and just forge ahead. I can do that. Many, most of you can do that. But then you think, for people on a fixed income, those price hikes, bit by bit, it's not easy. And I'd assumed that we were all more or less on board with masks. Mostly thought that the vaccination was a very good idea indeed, and most of the people I know agreed with that. Well, that's what I was thinking until I began to hear last year about a restaurant that didn't ask for masks. Last year was quietly putting out the word that it was welcome to those who thought the pandemic was all an inflated government ploy to put us in a nice, neat line. Huh. And then, not that long ago, the trucks began to arrive just across the road from here, in front of the legislative building with horns blaring. Protesters poured out onto Broadway, waving their signs, giving the thumbs up, smiling and calling for me to support the anti-masking cause by honking my own car horn as I went by. Seemed a frightful amount of energy to pour into protesting something so basic as a mask. But of course, there was also a vaccine protest at work amongst that same group. Lest they had proof of vaccination, cross-border truck drivers were pretty much stopped from doing their cross-border work. That was at least ostensibly what was the start of the protest here and in Ottawa and in other places across the country. Yet it quickly became apparent that other extremist groups had piggybacked their causes on top of the masking and vaccine issues and things began to get even messier. In the midst of all this division and confusion, Ukraine found itself besieged by the Russian army. We watched the news reports, listened to the voices on the radio describing the flight of millions of Ukrainians, millions, the devastation wrought by the bombs dropped on those Ukrainian cities, and it is continuing. It's almost unimaginable what's happening there and almost unimaginable to begin to think how those people might dig their way out from underneath that rubble, literal and metaphorical rubble, when this somehow ends. A few weeks ago as I was driving on Portage Avenue, listening to a news story about Ukraine, I was in front of about the University of Winnipeg, and I could see just ahead by the CBC building this great big group of protesters, anti-vax, anti-mask protesters, waving signs accusing the CBC of deceiving us 
and calling for the resignation of the Prime Minister, who, the sign said, had robbed us of our freedom. The contrast between what I was hearing on the news report about Ukraine and what I was seeing on the street in front of CBC was really unsettling. And there was this part of me that for a moment, anyways, was going to want to pull my car over to the side of the road and get out and say, what do we know here about lost freedom, lost lives, lost everything? Look at Ukraine. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, Surrounded by his disciples and followers, the hopes of those who watched were very, very high. They cut down branches, waving them and laying them across the road as he went, shouting loud hosannas, which means literally, save us. In his gospel account, John tells us that they were palm branches. John alone says that, palm branches. That links that procession with Jesus back to one described in the Deuterocanonical book of 1st Maccabees, in which Jewish rebels managed to capture Jerusalem back from the Seleucids in the 160s before Christ. As they marched into the city, that book tells us, those Jewish victors, quote, entered it with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. They entered it with palm branches. Is this happening again now with Jesus? A revolution, a reclamation. That's what those waving palm branches in John's gospel seem to say. Yet he was riding a donkey, not a war horse. For all that people had hoped he was the revolutionary they'd been waiting for, instead of rallying the troops, he'd gone to the temple, chased out the merchants and money changers. He'd engaged in debate with Pharisees, Sadducees, and other members of the Jewish elite in the public square. He talked to his own followers not about a great military victory, but instead about his impending death. They watched as what had seemed like a popular movement dissolved back into the desperate state of normal. Shortages of food, an unstable market, soldiers marching in the streets, insecurity all round. No matter how normally people tried to live, it was always under the weight of that empire. And it didn't appear that Jesus had any plan around ousting it, in the way that their Maccabean forebears had ousted the Seleucids. When he was arrested, the temple authorities saw it as a necessity. Rid the city of this man, they reasoned, for he is unsettling the delicate balance we have with Rome. That popular movement that had heralded him as a revolutionary quickly dissolved, many going back to the drudgery of normal 
and others actively joining their voices in calling for his execution, crucify him. Scared and overwhelmed, his own disciples hid, fearing for their own lives. And he was crucified, which was the horrific torture devised by the Romans to deal with anyone deemed a political upstart. His words as carried to us by Luke, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then to the thief crucified beside him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then finally, as he breathed his dying breaths, with a loud voice he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. As it all unfolded, no one really knew what he meant or where it would lead, if anywhere. Certainly for the women followers who stood by and watched, and for the disciples who remained in hiding, the dream was over. Or maybe their dream was over. The one that was framed in terms of victory over Rome, the reclamation of Jerusalem from its occupiers. The dream in which they wanted to sit at his right and left sides as rulers of a new order imagining victory in the very terms that the empire had set out. The path that Jesus sets is longer, harder, more winding, with a good many stones in the road. It also happens to be the path, the way, that's true. In an ancient land at least as divided as the world today, with factions and rumors and extremists and collaborators, just as we see in our own world, Jesus set a path that can be followed and followed with confidence. Last week I read the story of the Reverend Jon Burden the rector of Resurrection of Christ Orthodox Church in the Russian village of Nikolskoy. Father Burden has dared to speak out loudly and publicly against his own country's invasion of Ukraine. I don't consider it possible to remain silent on this situation, he said. It wasn't about politics, it was about the Bible. If I remain silent, I'm not a priest. It's about the Bible, this priest had said, later adding, your job is not to change, but to testify. Testifying, as Father Burden has done in that context, is, of course, dangerous. It's probably just as dangerous as was Jesus' challenging of the powers that be in the public square of his own day or chasing those merchants from the temple. That's testifying. Your job is not to change but to testify, Father Burden said. That's an extraordinary statement. Even more extraordinary, though, is what he said when he was again later asked about his role, his voice, his challenge. 
And he simply invoked Psalm 27. The Lord is my enlightenment and my Savior. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defender of my life. Whom shall I fear? And so on this Good Friday, we sit under the weight of these times. And for today, we submit ourselves to the weight of this gospel passion story. For the rest of today and tomorrow, we wait until we can tell the other side of this story, the side that has inspired Father Burden to speak out in Russia and that will hopefully inspire us all to speak and live and act as gospel people wherever we are too. Yes, surely burdened by the brokenness of the world, yet never defeated or shattered by it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.